It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. I'm your host, Josh Gessman. With me, as always, Mr. Kevin Baxter, the panda himself. We have a bunch of stuff to get over. The LA Galaxy lose 5-0 to the Seattle Sounders. We'll, uh, of course, talk about that game and some of the things that maybe we can learn from that, whether we're surprised, whether we're not surprised, all of the uh, interesting little tidbits that follow along with that game. Uh, and, of course, Galaxy getting ready for the third of the El Traficos coming up on Friday at StubHub Center. So I'm sure we'll lead up into that as well. Uh, lots of little LA Galaxy news information there. So uh, we've got a pretty packed show. I think we're uh, ready to go. Checking in with the, the panda himself. Kevin, how are you doing, buddy? So no more T-shirts. The T-shirts are done. That's it. Those collector's items, those are never coming back again. They're too hideous. Oh, no. The best-dressed people are going to be wearing them. There are possibly 30 people or so that will be wearing the lovely uh, Panda and Pato in the morning t-shirts very soon. So as soon as those ship out. At least three times as many. What's wrong with these people? Yeah, I think it takes about a week for them to ship out. So I I think the ship date was August 27th. So everybody should be looking for those around that date. Sometimes they come a day early. Sometimes they come a day late, somewhere in there. But uh, August 27th, you should get a notification that your t-shirt has shipped. Uh, if you have any problems, you can, of course, uh, reach out to us. But, yes, the uh, the Panda and Pato in the Morning t-shirts are, are are in the wind, so to speak. So they will not be available for El Trafico 3. No, no, they won't. We'll have to uh, we'll have to wait uh, for a little bit longer until uh, until the next home game, I believe, uh, for the Galaxy and, and everybody to wear their their shirts. Are you wearing yours in the press box? You gonna put? It I up? am. I am absolutely not wearing mine. Uh, <laughs> wearing the press box. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that sounds like a bad idea. That sounds like uh, you know what? I probably will wear mine the first time. Of I'll, course. I'll, I'll put a sports. Course. I'll put a sports coat over it and and make it. I'll dress it up a little bit. But yeah, I, I think the ridiculousness of it, it definitely uh, definitely warrants. Aware, but speaking of ridiculous, Kevin, five nothing loss for the LA Galaxy. Um, I have to ask because you know we we think we do a pretty good job of seeing what this team is can do and and maybe predict a little bit what we think they might do. Were you at all surprised by the result? Well, hey, let me tell you this, Pato, strap in because it's going to be a bumpy ride through this pod because I've been doing math oh, and you, whoa, know, you know whoa, what that whoa. means. Yeah, I know that's never a good thing. Everybody should yeah. get out their calculators and double check it. And well, yeah, like when we talked about goals against earlier this year, I've been doing math, and uh, the math I figured out, I, I calculated the game in Seattle. I have the Galaxy losing that game by five goals. Is yes. that what you got? Yeah, that is. I, I I did see a plus six goal differential going in there, and a plus one leaving. So I can only imagine that if my math is correct, that means it was a five nothing uh, scoreline. Now I know you're going to want to get into this a little bit deeper, take a deeper dive a, a little uh, further into the show. But I, I just want to start out by saying that how big was that loss? This is we're in crisis mode now because that drops the Galaxy to seventh place in points per game. Remember, they've played a game more than everybody, but I think Real Salt Lake also has played 26. Everybody else in the playoff hunt has played fewer games, which means the Galaxy cannot make those points up. The Galaxy now at one point. Four two points per game. They are seventh, meaning if the playoffs were to begin now based on how many points you have per game, the Galaxy are outside looking in. They are not in the playoffs. Second year in a row where they would miss the playoffs. So this is crisis time right now. The Galaxy have eight games left. That's 24 available points. Ziggy has said to make the playoffs that he believes the team needs 51 points to be safe. And I did a little little more math, and he's right. Every team that's gotten at least 51 points since they went to the current playoff format, has made the playoffs. So 51 points seems safe. The Galaxy with 24 points remaining, sitting at 37 now. See, a lot of math. I told you. I warned you. Right. The Galaxy can only drop 10 points. If they drop more than 10 points, they're not going to finish with 51 points, Means meaning, according to Ziggy, they will not make the playoffs. 10 points. They dropped 10 points in the last two weeks. They cannot drop 10 points in the next two months because if they do, then they don't make the playoffs. That makes this game, El Trafico 3, crucial. If the Galaxy lose that game, they have seven games left, and they still need to get 14 points. Um, that is going to be a very, very difficult challenge for this team, I believe. And, you know, another thing is is they uh, their next they have eight games left, as I said. They do not play teams with a losing record until the last two games of the season, uh, Minnesota and Houston. 
So, oh, well, they do have the game with Toronto in the middle there, Toronto being the defending champions. So they face a very, very tough schedule from here on out, and they, they need to get a lot of points. So it's sort of a double whammy. It is. I would say that this game wasn't really the one that hurt them. I would say it's probably the games before that, but this this one certainly has the cumulative effect there, Kevin, of of being the one that looks like it broke the the the, the camel's back. Because you, you look at this game and and sort of a a, a myriad of uh, perfect storms sort of hit the galaxy here. You have a a very hot Seattle Sounders team who was at five wins in a row coming up to uh, would be now six wins in a row. I think that's the first time in franchise history they've won six games in a row. Um, so they come into this game super hot, and you have the LA Galaxy who are not only cold, but had lost so many players in the previous two games, and Zlatan doesn't travel up there as well. So you have five players, five starters, Kevin, missing from this LA Galaxy team, and it had to have a, a huge effect. Not only do you have five starters missing from the team, but I'm going to tell you uh, very simply that you had some of the most expensive players the Galaxy have, therefore maybe the best players the Galaxy have, or they're supposed to be anyway, uh, you know, not in this lineup. You had the top four highest-paid players on the team, Kevin, all miss this game. You had the, the other one, who's Michael Ciani, is the eighth-highest-paid player on this team. So in total payroll missing from this game, you had close to $12 million, $11.989 million of payroll was missing from a total payroll of $17.5 million. Basically, 68.5% of the LA Galaxy's payroll was unavailable for this game, and by, by virtue outside of Michael Ciani, almost all the offense was missing from this particular game. So where they've gotten most of their goals this season, I think uh, Taylor Twelman uh, had it on the ESPN broadcast. I think they were missing 30 out of their 48 goals that had scored, maybe even a little bit more than that. I'd have to go back and check the math. But needless to say, the Galaxy had no real offensive threat uh, lined up on this field for this game. You say a myriad of perfect storms? Yes. Is that is, is that That's allowed? That's poetic. You're is, a poet oh, and you didn't know it. I, I, I didn't That's... know if that maybe was a grammar issue that I had there. I'm not really that smart, so every once in a while I get one. Now, I, I, that $12 million that was missing, that that is higher than the payroll of more than half the teams in the league. So that, that'll just give you an indication of, of, of what they were missing. But, you know, we've heard all along, all year long, we keep hearing about how the Galaxy have rebuilt their depth. And I do find it interesting that last year – we were told that the academy system is now where the Galaxy were going to go, and we're going to have all these great players coming up from Galaxy 2 and from the academy, and and that's the way of the future. You notice we haven't seen anybody from that side play this year. I mean, there have been a few guys like Bradford Jameson as he was coming back from the concussion, right. uh, and, and uh, Hilliard Arce go down and play in Galaxy 2 just simply to get playing time, and then Chao Pedro, who we'll talk about in a minute, has been banished there, or was banished there until yep. he, he got sent on alone. But... The whole idea of this was the way of the future, that has dried up completely. We have seen nobody come up. And in the past, we have seen guys come up. We've seen Diop. We've seen uh, Steris and Romney, guys that came up from Galaxy 2 and became contributors. That whole thing has dried up. So just more uh, evidence that last year was a complete disaster as far as the front office and the philosophy and, and those things go. But we've heard so much about the depth this year, and so now we get a chance to test the depth. And Servando Carrasco gets a start, and uh, you know a number of other players get to play. And it was an unmitigated disaster. That depth is just certainly not there. And you're right, the the, the points they dropped, the important ones, were you know they they gave up. In, but in the game before Seattle, they gave up four leads in four games, uh, or gave up only four times in four games. Um, you know, and they had goals scored against them in, in either a go-ahead goal or a game-tying goal scored after the 80th minute in three of those games. So, you know, it's not been a good streak for the Galaxy, and and you're right. It was a myriad of perfect storms that sort of came together in Seattle, but um, that is not the way to go into your crosstown rivalry, your, your, your derby game, coming off a, a historic loss. The Galaxy have lost five to nothing three times. Um, twice under Ziggy, by the way, yeah. uh, once in 2002, and, and now the other game was in, in 2013. Um, so this is a loss of historic proportions coming right in the middle of the time when they're supposed to be gathering themselves for a playoff push. Well, let's go a little history on those losses. Uh, you, you talked about it. Obviously, a 5 nothing loss at Seattle. I, I was doing some digging, and 
and found this little nugget of of, of history or trivia. I don't know. If, if this was ever a trivia question, uh, it would be a very difficult one. The Galaxy have lost, as you said, three times, five to nothing. Uh, lost at Seattle this last Saturday. Lost at New England on Sunday, June 2nd, 2013. And then lost five nothing at New York Red Bulls at Giants Stadium in, on June 15th, 2002. So you have all three of those losses all came on the road. So the worst losses in history all came on the road. And, Kevin, all were played on turf. All right, so that is that. I guess uh, I guess that's something. Uh, if, if not, it's 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 an interesting little tidbit uh, to realize that turf has affected the LA Galaxy in a negative way multiple times. Um, and you know, this is just I don't know. I'm not surprised by the result, Kevin. I wasn't surprised by the result. I wasn't surprised by the scoreline. I don't think it's shocking. I don't think people should be sitting there saying how could that possibly happen. Uh, it was a Galaxy team that was way outmatched from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, you talked about the depth not being there. I would say that the Galaxy's depth have, have had to play a lot more than people realize whenever you look at the designated players who haven't been playing uh, this year, Kevin, for the L.A. Galaxy. And where's Baggio? Uh, I know he dressed. He was there. He was among the 18. I, I you know, Servando, unfortunately, had a terrible game. Um, I don't know why Baggio's not not getting any time. By the way, you say three games on turf. They all lost those three, five to nothing. So those are three games that... Zlatan did not play in um, <laughs> yeah. since yeah. he didn't well, enter. Well, being but, he wasn't on, being he wasn't on the uh, on the team the other two times. Is, is that another one? Well, he didn't play, right? Yeah. Well, no, if he I wasn't mean, on the team. He didn't play. Well, yeah, exactly. So you are. Yeah, I'm just saying yeah. that you know another thing they all have in common. Um, but you talked about the salary and um, the the big guy missing, um, and we can talk about the salary of the of the defense a little bit later. Apparently, some people have been pushing back about whether uh, the Galaxy have the most expensive. Uh, defense in the league, and they do. Um, but you know, another guy that we talk about a lot on this show, and it's it's it, to me, it's starting to get to reach critical mass. And we talk about Giovanni dos Santos. The guy makes six million dollars. He's the fifth highest paid player in the league, um, and he has. You know, you talk about how he's played only a third of the minutes available to the Galaxy this season. Right. If you take away the five weeks he was gone for Mexico's World Cup team. He's played only 42% of the minutes available. That means so take away the, the 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 five games that he wasn't even in the country for, and just look at when he was here, when he was in the United States, when he was available to the Galaxy. 42% of those minutes uh, he's played, meaning he's missed 58% of the available minutes. So uh, you know he's played two 90-minute games this year. That's it. Uh, he does seem to be healthy when the Mexican national team calls him, but for the Galaxy, he can't seem to stay on the field. And you were right. And, you know, in the last game that he played, he played well for a half, and then all of a sudden he got hurt again. We saw him walking out of the stadium with his brother. He wasn't hobbling. I'm not saying he's not hurt. I'm just saying that he looked pretty good leaving the stadium. And that's another thing, too. For the $6 million that he's paid, when you look at the other players that are getting that much, there is a responsibility. This is MLS. This is not the English Premier League. At $6 million, there is a responsibility to the club to handle media chores, to do public relations, to meet fans, to do all those things. That, by the way, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is doing right. uh, in spades, yes. You know, calling season ticket holders, doing all those things. You don't see Gio doing that. Uh, in fact, when Gio and Jonathan both left the last home game hurt – they exited through the press conference room so they could avoid the fans in the Champions Lounge, fans who pay a lot of money to stay there and support the team and greet the team. We talked to one woman who has a autograph of uh, on a soccer ball, has an autograph of every Galaxy player except Jonathan Dos Santos. She's or been G in the Giovanni Dos Santos. Giovanni Dos yeah, Santos. Don't, don't, don't switch your brothers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get a guilt by association. She has every autograph on that soccer ball except Giovanni Dos Santos because he just avoids the Champions Lounge and avoids the fans. And again, he's getting paid $6 million. We know the Galaxy tried to move him. Um, the word is out. Nobody wanted him, uh, even if the Galaxy, I assume, would have uh, you know agreed to pay part of the salary. And why does that matter? Because when Ziggy went out to try to address the problems that are so obviously plaguing the team this year in, in the transfer window, he couldn't. He's locked in with three DPs. He's locked in with, to, with salary cap. He's locked in with TAM money. He had no uh, you know way to maneuver. And we were told last year by the front office when they signed Jonathan Dos Santos, we asked them, you and I both asked them, the front office, point blank, look, you're, you've signed up three DPs through the end of the 2019 season. What if you need to go out and get a player? And their response was, oh, these guys, Ramon, Jonathan, and, and Gio, they're signed to below market contracts. They are so uh, marketable that we will be able to move them and get another DP 
it didn't happen. No. And the Galaxy probably locked into the end of the 2019 season with these three DPs and with a lot of salaries, and it's going to be hard for Ziggy to address the, the real needs that the team has. Yeah, it's going to be, re I mean, I'll tell you right now, and I've said it over and over again, and, and take this to the bank. This is this is absolutely, completely true. The Galaxy have no room to maneuver right now, Kevin. There is no cap space. There are no international slots. There is no designated player spots. There's no targeted allocation money. There's no general allocation money. Um, I was talking to somebody again today, and we were talking about how, you know, I'm, I'm like, there's no flexibility here. I go, you can get mad at the LA Galaxy for putting themselves in this position, Kevin, right? Putting themselves in a position of inflexibility, of, of not being able to do anything, and having to spend so much money in the offseason to try to shore up the holes that they had from the previous season that they left themselves no out in the summer. You can blame every single person, include all the front office, you know, Pete Vianis, Chris Klein, uh, you know, Jovan Karofsky, Siggy Schmidt and Kurt Schmidt, you can blame all those guys for creating that inflexibility. Now, Siggy's trying to patch a hole a little bit here, so maybe he doesn't deserve as much of the blame, but at the same time, they all knew making the moves they did in this offseason that realistically they were going to be ha have an inflexible um, you know, middle of the year. And what happens around the league, Kevin, is that almost every other team made moves and got better, right? And well, you're seeing that, that right now. I, I wouldn't even say this year. I would say go back to last year. I mean, I would pin it on last year's front office when they signed Jonathan, and again, you and I ask, hey, you've really, you know, you sign these guys to long-term contracts. These guys are, are, you don't have any flexibility, and they promised that they did. And I think that that you and I have proven correct on this. They don't have any. And uh, in the Bruce Arena years, if you look back, they added Robbie Keane, I think, that went, you know, in that first year, added Robbie Keane in August. They added Steven Gerrard and Giovanni Dos Santos midseason. Um, you know, they moved, they changed Omar Gonzalez's contract to, to bring Gio in. Now, you may look back in retrospect and say, Gerard wasn't that big of a help and Gio's turned out to be a bust. Yeah, they didn't know that at the time. The point is, they were able to make moves. And you're right. Look around the league. A couple of years ago, Seattle uh, adds Ladero in midseason. And look how that changed their season. They went on and won the MLS Cup that year. You just look at, you know, 14 miles up the freeway at LAFC. I know that's a curse word right now, but you look at what John Thorrington did. You know, getting Christian Ramirez, uh, getting Daniela Silva, you know, bringing in Josh Perez, uh, per, you know, and uh, uh, Ramirez goes out and gets a brace in his first start. Daniela Silva started three games, two at center back. Two of those have been shutouts. These were guys that the team added and made instant contributions. And the Galaxy have had to sit here with obvious holes in their lineup, especially in defense, and they haven't been able to do anything to address them. The, they had the allocation spot. They were situated perfectly to address their defensive problems. What happened? They gave that allocation spot to Portland because they couldn't absorb the, the player. And Portland gets a national team midfielder in uh, Viafania who goes to Portland. And the Galaxy you know, have to continue forward with the guys they have. Yeah, I mean, it, it is that that's exactly what's happened. It, it is exactly as it's been laid out. The fact the Galaxy couldn't go out to do it is pin, is certainly pinnable on everything else that all the other decisions that they've made. And some of those are Siggy's fault, some of those aren't, some of those are previous admins, as you said. But I mean, really, when we talk about previous administrations there, Kevin, uh, it's still the same people involved outside of Siggy Schmidt and Kurt Schmidt. Um, so, you know, you, you haven't seen a bunch of that. So that's what you saw really in, in this game was the fact that, you know, you look at Seattle just across and they get, um, you know, Raul Ruiz Diaz who comes in, um, who's now one of their, their main guys as a new designated player. He's making an impact. He has added something to that team. There's life in that team now. And Seattle, who was dead, Kevin, uh, has once again risen from the ashes um, and is looking like they're going to be a real playoff team coming up very shortly. And that's that's a problem. That's a problem for the Galaxy. So losing 5 nothing again, isn't so much a result of where the Galaxy are at this season because they're a better team than what they put out there. And you could say that the Galaxy didn't play with heart. I would say that they got outplayed on every facet and the early goals certainly didn't help. Um, you know, Dan Sarah's getting out jumped and out muscled by Chad Marshall at the beginning. Um, you had uh, David Bingham have one of the worst decisions of his career so far is to pass that ball to Ashley Cole instead of just clearing it wide and Cole being pro forced under pressure to put the ball down the middle. Um, and then after that, you had the own goal, which certainly broke everybody's spirits in the second half. I mean, you can go through all those goals and look at how they were really affected by the players who were missing. And you can say, those were all offensive players. How come the Galaxy couldn't just park the bus? 
And we know, Kevin, that the strong suit of this Galaxy team is not the defense. We talked about them needing reinforcements there. They don't get the reinforcements. They have to stick basically what they did. And by the way, I actually like the formation that they came out in in terms of um, having five defensive players back there and trying to do something with that. I liked Rolf Felcher coming in and playing for the first time since, I think, April 21st, whenever uh, he played last against Atlanta in that 2 nothing loss to the Galaxy at StubHub Center. So I like a bunch of portions of this. Um, I didn't like Boateng being forced into a forward position. He had no business being in. In fact, he missed a wide-open shot. Sebastian Lejet missed a wide-open shot. I mean, there were chances there for the Galaxy to have, and then they gifted Seattle other chances. So if you pile those things on top of each other, this was a really easy outcome to predict, and it shouldn't have been that shocking. I thought they were going to lose. I thought they would lose 3-1. to one. I thought they might find a goal somewhere. So 5 nothing isn't that far off from 3-1. But it could have been worse. I mean, Seattle had some opportunities that they easily, I thought, could have scored eight goals. Yes. They had some opportunities late. And you, the guy that this has really got to be galling for is is Ziggy. You know, he still feels like he uh, w- he did not leave Seattle on good terms. Um, certainly when they let Kurt Schmidt come, or, yeah, Kurt come down and, uh, to L.A. and work with him, uh, that was a help. You know, Seattle didn't have to let him out of his contract. They did. But – you know, when Ziggy plays Seattle, he really wants to win. It's a personal thing with him. So losing is one thing. Back in his old hometown, going back to Seattle and losing, that's one thing. Getting embarrassed. Um, I, I think this is one that's going to stick with him a little bit. And uh, I would not want to be in the Galaxy locker room the first couple of days of this week because I would imagine that there is some real anger that's uh, uh, still kind of burning under the, under the, uh, the skin there a little bit. Yeah, I would have to imagine he was upset after the game, too. I mean, listen, the players were upset. We actually had a, uh, a listener who said that they uh, they witnessed this in person. They said uh, they saw this game live um, at the stadium, and they said it was embarrassing. This is uh, at H. Dottie Dot, uh, who wrote into us on Twitter and basically said, uh, saw it live, it was embarrassing, also flew back with the team. They were cool and apologized for the loss, Uh Cole, Sebastian Legette, Ola Kamara, Ralph Felcher kept talking about the game while we were waited for our flight, and Carrasco was bummed out all to himself. So just a little uh, view into the window of, of the LA Galaxy as they were traveling back. Um, listen, short, short memories on these guys. They have to just throw this out and look at it. But you go back and look at the individual mistakes, and it wasn't even so much individual and I have to ask Siggy Schmidt. Siggy Schmidt said something, you know, very similar whenever they uh, they last drew to Colorado, Kevin. Uh, he was talking about how it's not tactics, it's effort. Uh, how it's not about where the guys were, that they were in good positions, that it was about the effort they were. And you even saw on that second goal where the Galaxy gifted uh, Seattle that second goal where it was a, a poor clearance from Ashley Cole, uh, who was put under pressure by David Bingham, you saw the lack of effort. Um, there were enough players on the field to be able to counter whatever was going to happen. But there were no defenders on the right-hand side. And how, if you have five defenders in a lineup, Kevin, do you not get at least somebody coming back to cover down the center of the field and on the right-hand side? Uh, you know, Shelvick should have been there. Uh, you should have had, uh, you know, uh, Felcher should have been there. There should have been so many people there that with five defenders, there's no reason. Steris should have been there. I mean, you look at the right side. Where was Carrasco and where was Kitchen? None of those guys came back. The only guys who were back were Romney on the left-hand side and Cole on the left-hand side. And there was no place for Cole to play that ball. I, I It just, it has to be more than frustrating. It has to be downright disheartening to Siggy Schmidt to see his players react like that, especially after, and I will say this, after Seattle scored the first goal, Kevin, the Galaxy actually had some good possession here. And Rolf Felcher was actually making some inroads down the right, and Romney was making some inroads down the left. Both of those guys were providing the only offense they could hope to get. Boateng gifted balls away for most of that game. Uh, Chris Pontius should have been in there. I don't know why he didn't start in that position. Maybe they wanted speed, uh, but Boateng with his back to goal was a horrible idea. Uh, seeing him not make runs off. Ola, how do you not point Ima Boateng downhill and let him run in behind people, Kevin? Um, this is this is just it was a it was a poor understanding of the formation that they were in and what they were trying to do, and that was ultimately the reason this went down because they had one. What they have one, two, three, they have four, five, six, seven. They had seven defensive players in this game, Kevin, and they gave up five goals. Well, and, and, you know, lack of talent is one thing. You can look and say, well, we just don't have the best players. We don't have the you know most talented team. Lack of effort is totally is a totally different thing. Just trying. It's all it comes down to. Just try. Any Everyone and anyone can put out effort. And 
there are a lot of guys, I think, on this team that um, should be putting in an effort. I mean, a guy like Savandro Carrasco, he is not going to the uh, National Soccer Hall of Fame. This is a guy that should be busting his butt every time out there. And, uh, you know, there are other players on this team. We can all name them. Uh, guys that are sort of on the edge of a starting spot or sort of, maybe even on the edge of an MLS career that should be out there busting their butt. And when they're not putting the effort in, uh, you wonder why. Did The team clearly quit last year, and there was problems in that dressing room. Jermaine Jones and others, uh, Van Damme up to the time that he went back to Belgium. There were bad apples in that dressing room, and you could understand why there was a, a bad vibe around that team. And you could almost predict that they were going to quit at some time and they did it was the atlanta game last year where it really came to four and that's when ziggy went crazy and and had that speech where he talked about uh, you know a lot of you players are not going to be back next year maybe he needs to have that speech again because it, it does seem to me that maybe the team hasn't quite quit yet but as you mentioned effort is lacking and ziggy's mentioned that and the thing that i get tired of uh, is after every game and, and the last three when they gave up these leads and, and lost to Colorado and then and then uh, wound up with ties in the last two home games, you heard the same thing afterwards, um, you know, that the defensive breakdowns keep happening and it's disheartening and they need to find a solution. I keep hearing the same excuses and I don't hear any solutions. I don't hear anyone coming and saying, this is what we're going to do. Um, I don't have the answer, but I'm not Ziggy Schmidt. And at some point, it's got someone's got to sit. They've got to call somebody up. Um, they've got to, you know, release somebody. Something has to happen because the idea of everyone saying, "Yeah, we know what the problem is. Uh, we need to be a little more aggressive. We need to, uh, we need to put in a little more effort. We need to do this or that." And then they don't do it, and then they come back and say, "We still know what the problem is. We did it again." Um, you can't keep have the same things happening over and over and over again, and then somehow pretend like it's just they're just going to pull themselves out of this tail slide and everything's going to be okay. They're running out of time. They have eight games left, and right now, as we said at the start of the show, the eight games left right now, points per game. They're on the outside looking, and they're seventh. They're not going to make the playoffs unless something changes down the stretch here. And the one thing that you can sort of maybe look to and say this is optimistic is the Galaxy does. That they do play more winning teams than losing teams down the stretch. That looks like it's a bad thing, but it's actually good for the Galaxy because they even go back to the Bruce Arena years. The Galaxy is always, for whatever reason, they always seem to play much better against quality opponents. They step up to the level of the opponent, and they play down to uh, to poor teams. And so that explains the draw against Minnesota and the draw against Colorado and the loss in Colorado. So the fact that the Galaxy has quality opponents to play down the stretch may actually help motivate them a little bit, but they don't have a whole lot of room for error. Well, I'll tell you this. You know, you said, how do you fix the defense? Siggy Schmidt has told you how you fix the defense, uh, and he's told you many, many times. I don't think people want to listen uh, because the way he says it maybe isn't the, the clearest, but he's told everybody, Kevin, that he isn't able to bring in any more people. He knows that he doesn't have the talent on defense to compete in MLS, and whether that means he thinks that he got some wrong, which I don't think they think... <laughs> Let's, let me see if I can say this without getting confused. I don't think that the LA Galaxy believe that... Jorgen Shelvick is a bust. All right, He didn't have a great game in Seattle, and he hasn't had a great year. I don't believe that they're writing him off, and people who think that he's gone after this year are semi-delusional. Um, they have these things called contracts. He's got a two-year one. It ain't going anywhere. Uh, Shelvick is staying there. He will be here next season for the LA Galaxy, unless they find a way to trade him or move him, which I don't think they'll do. I think that they they believe that him having a, a competent partner back there is something that they can fix, and so that's a piece they don't need to get. I will say this. I think Siggy Schmidt realizes that Ashley Cole's gotten a year older, and he's certainly shown that. I think Schmidt realizes that the Galaxy, in a panic move, brought in Michael Ciani, um, and that Ciani was never the answer at that position, and he has now proven that over the uh, remainder of last season and all of this season. Um, and I also think that, uh, you know, Rolf Felcher being back in the lineup is something that is a positive for the LA Galaxy, and I think that they can build off that, but I'm not convinced that Rolf Felcher is going to be the answer there, but he's got a contract. I don't think he's going anywhere. So what you're looking for in the offseason is the Galaxy to replace a left back or move Jorgen out there and get another center back. You could do that. Uh, certainly people have been advocating for that. Um, and then they're going to get another center back. So center back is on the list for sure. Uh, whether or not it's two center backs or a, uh, or, or a left back, however you want to look at that, that's the thing. But Siggy Schmitz told you, Kevin, he doesn't think that this defense has the talent because whenever we question him about it, he's said many times that his hands are tied and that he can't bring in any other people. 
Yeah, so, I, I read that a different way, though. I don't think he's saying that they don't have the talent. I think he's saying that this is what we have, and you guys, and he did say this after the last home game, these guys need to step up. And I think that's a good message, actually. Uh, he's basically telling the team, look, if you're waiting for the Calvary to come over the hill, they're not coming. This is it. We have to win. Or, we're going to win or lose with these guys. This is what we have. Um, you know, I have confidence in you or I don't, whatever, however you want to read what Ziggy's saying. But these are the guys, and it's not a matter of talent. It's a matter of effort. You guys can all put in a little bit more effort, and and we can see our way out of this disaster. But I, I do kind of like the way that he's basically put it on his players, and he said it's not tactical. He goes at, at one point he said, "What do you want me to do? Put six guys back in the box?" You know, it's not tactical. It's effort. It's it's execution. And he's pretty much told these guys, "This is it. This is you know, you're the guys that are going to do it." I, I actually kind of like that message. Unfortunately, nobody's responded to it yet. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think there is. I, I don't know that it's a rallying cry for me because if it's really a rallying cry, you don't go out and say, hey, yeah, we tried to make moves. Uh, we tried to do stuff to bring in defense. We know there's a problem. You know, that type of thing. Because I, I, you have to be like, oh, yeah, I believe in these guys. Because if you're Siggy, because he's throwing them under the bus more than anything, isn't he? If he's saying you guys are my guys, this is it. I couldn't bring anybody else in. No, I think he's challenging them. I don't think it's throwing them under the bus. I think it's challenging them to say, this is, you guys are it. You, you, you know, either we rise or we rise or fall with you guys, and uh, it's time for you guys to step up. I, I, I don't see it as throwing them under the bus. I see it more as challenging them. Okay, so if they, let's say the Galaxy don't make the playoffs, right? And you come back and you start talking about the defense. You, you immediately go back to Siggy's comments where he says, you know, this is on you guys. It's not on me. Siggy's already saying it's not on me. I, I gave you the tactical stuff. I gave you the information. I put you in the proper place to succeed, and you guys aren't putting the effort out. So, I mean, that to me says, hey, I would have loved to have other people in there, but in this particular case, you're what I have, and if you guys don't do it, well, it's on your shoulders. I've done everything that I can do. But remember, they did have a nine-game unbeaten streak that just ended uh, the beginning of this month. So it's not like these guys can't produce and can't win. It's that they're, they're not. And, you know, in, in some ways, Zalatan, for all the things that he's brought, and he's been incredible, it, it, he's also been somewhat, I don't want to say detrimental, but it's clear that teams look to him to rescue the day, like against Minnesota. Um, it's clear that they look to him um, to bail them out of some tight spots. And, and the fact that he's done it, it's kind of been, uh, you know, uh, he's become a crutch for the Galaxy. They rely on him a little bit too much. Um, it's, it's, and when it's, he's not there in Seattle, then all of a sudden they don't know where to turn. It's not a crutch, though. You can't call it that. The guy's just good. How would you, what would you do? Yeah, Say, but, but, they, but they look to him. Again, they, they look to him. It's like, oh, my God, we're losing again. Zalatan, can you please help us? And yep. then he does, and then they look to him the next time they're, what, was they're, Rob, they're But was Robbie Keener Landon Donovan a crutch for the Galaxy? No, they're just players that scored goals in big moments. Your big players should be that. I, I hate this idea that somehow Zlatan is the reason that the Galaxy are not good in games, that they aren't good in defense. No, they, they're not good in defense because their defense is horrible. It's not because they rely on Zlatan to bail them out, and so they think they don't have to try. I do believe this team is trying. Sebastian Legette even pushed back on us whenever we were talking to him in Minnesota or against Minnesota, or the, excuse me, the last Colorado game, where I said specifically, hey, you know, it looks like Siggy, you know, Siggy says that it's an effort issue and not a tactical issue, and, and, and Sebastian sort of looked at me and cocked his head sideways. He goes, well, I mean, if the manager says it, it must be true, but it's not like we're not out there trying. It's not like we're not out there running. It was maybe we need to be smarter about our running, but it's not like these guys aren't out there, you know, really pushing and, and running for this stuff. So it's not that they look to... Zlatan is going to bail them out because he's a great player and he can score goals. And if you don't pass the ball to Zlatan when you get a chance to, you're an idiot. Uh, the guy has 15 goals and, you know, really should be running away with a golden boot, maybe, uh, except for the fact that uh, Joseph Martinez is having a, a record year over with Atlanta United. So I, I don't like that, that it's Zlatan's somehow detrimental fault that the Galaxy's team was flawed on defense, whether Zlatan comes here or not. If it wouldn't be Zlatan, Kevin, it would be Ola Kamara they would be looking to bail him out. So between that, I'm fine with them having offensive weapons to go in there and score goals. But this team is just not good enough on defense. It's not that they sit there and actually try to go down and go down by goals. Does that make any sense? Yeah, but I still go back to say, okay, if this team is so fatally flawed, how did it have a nine-game unbeaten streak? Because because Laton Ibrahimovic is a really good player. And because the offense is really—and they were healthy for that stretch, too. 
Let's not forget you had Giovanni Dos Santos and Jonathan Dos Santos. Those guys were playing. Roman Alessandrini was playing. Well, oh, wait, wait, go back. Both Dos Santoses were gone for the majority of that unbeaten streak. They were in Russia. Remember the unbeaten streak started in May, went all the way through June when they were gone for five weeks. All right. So, so, so even then coming, so even with Ola Kamara and Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Roman Alessandrini, I mean, you had a healthy team, a healthier team for sure. All right, Roman was in and out with some injuries, right? So you did it, but you had the offensive weapons. You didn't have the lack of weapons, certainly, that you saw in, in Seattle. But you had the same defense. None of the defenders went anywhere during June and July. And yep. so, um, you know, that defense worked at some point. You it, know, it, it maybe ne- it no, wasn't no. It, a, a lockdown defense that shut teams out, but it allowed fewer goals than the other than the Galaxy scored, and it allowed them, uh, again, to be unbeaten. It's not a winning streak because there were a lot of draws in there, but... They had that unbeaten streak with the same defenders that they have now. So, yeah, but you know, but, I, the, but the I'm, defense I'm, I'm hasn't kind of changed. Two minds of this. I think that they have enough talent, but they're just not. They're not executing. And the fact that in this little, in this little um, difficult time they're having, they keep coming back and, and with the same excuses. Um, it makes me wonder where the disconnect is. Well, uh, okay, I'll say this though: the defense hasn't changed. They were just scoring more goals. I mean, throw out the five nothing loss to Seattle because it's obviously a you know an outlier in terms of how many goals that they've actually conceded. Granted, this team has conceded goals you know three games in a goal, uh, three three goals in a game before multiple times. Uh, have they ever conceded four goals in a game outside of the five nothing? I'm trying to think if I remember. I don't think so, but they've conceded three goals multiple times. Um, so you look at those things. The defense didn't change. The defense has been conceding goals at a re- actually a pretty regular clip throughout the entire season. It's just that the offense is able to sometimes overpower that. Uh, go back to the beginning of the year, and you look at you know different losses for the LA Galaxy. Um, you know a let's see, is that even a, a first one? Sometimes I have I have a bunch of different. Uh, um, uh, schedules in front of me, so I want to make sure that I get the regular season uh, for the Galaxy up here before I, I start shouting out all the different ones. But, I mean, look at the uh, the win against LAFC. They give up three goals, right? They lo- they give up two goals to Sporting Kansas City. Uh, they give up two goals to Atlanta. They give up three goals to New York Red Bulls. They give up three goals to the Houston Dynamo. They give up three goals to, the, to FC Dallas. They give up three goals to FC Dallas again. This is a team that has cons- consistently conceded goals against San Jose 3-3 DC United 2-2 um, you know you look at uh, uh, even two goals against New England um, so all of these things that you're going this defense did exactly what it's always done which is concede goals all right so just because they gave up five in this one doesn't mean the defense got any worse they didn't uh, this was just that they didn't have any offense to sort of offset that defense um, so to me, this is just a natural prog- progression of what you've seen throughout the year for the Galaxy. Nothing got worse, but that also means that they've known this is an issue since the very beginning, and there's been zero progress forward on Yeah, they're on, they're on pace to give up 61 goals, which I think would be second or third all-time Oh, um, I have, worse. I have that chart. Hold on. You I, do, yeah. Uh, 60, yes. I have 61.4. I told you there was going to be a lot of math here. There was. 61.46 goals is what I have. Okay, so uh, 61.4 goals would be the second highest ever goals conceded. Uh, the, the after uh, let's see, excuse me, it would be yeah, it would be the it would be the third highest goals conceded. Third, right? Yeah, and, it would be after last tw- year was the worst. Yeah, 2017 they gave up 67 goals. They're 20 goals away from that right now. Um, and then in 2008 they gave up 62 goals. The thing about 2008 was they actually played less games. So 2008 could actually be uh, conceding more goals per game than uh, 2017 was. I just have to go back and actually do the math on it. Um, but yeah, you look at uh, 2018 right now and 47 goals. Uh, the 47 goals they've conceded, Kevin, uh, currently sits as uh, the total amount of goals they gave up in 2012 in an MLS Cup victory. Um, the total number of goals they conceded in 2007 was 48, and they're sitting at 47 right now. Uh, if you go back and look at a whole bunch of years, there's years that never got to 47 uh, goals, and that's through the complete 2013, 2014, 2016, Kevin, all years where the LA Galaxy did not concede more than 47 goals. 38 goals, 37 goals, 39 goals. Page and Jaime Pinedo, Page and Jaime Pinedo, uh, he just retired, by the way, from uh, from international football, playing for Panama. Yeah, he he was really bad in the World Cup. But you know, here's another question: You talk about the defense a lot. Um, let's not forget David Bingham. I mean, what do we think of David Bingham? And I, and I ask that in all seriousness because I'm not sure that 
that he's really been given a fighting chance. I mean, the defense in front of him have committed so many obvious errors and have really hung him out to dry. And I think about Dan Kennedy, who was a tremendous goalkeeper in my mind with uh, with Chivas USA. And, and at one point uh, was second team, uh, all whatever they called it at that time. He was a, when they do their uh, the t- best 11 at the end of the season. He was second team best 11. And he's a guy that his teams gave up 58, 67, 61 goals. Yet he was a fantastic goalkeeper. He just had no buddy playing defense in front of him. Is, is how, how much is David Bingham to fault in all this? Is he a guy that you look to replace in the offseason or is he doing okay? He's average. I don't know that he, I mean, listen, you're going to get boneheaded mistakes from him. He's done it throughout the year. He makes poor clearances. It was very evident in this game uh, that he was, you know, not exactly feeling the flow on the on the particular day. But I go back and look at all the goals that are scored, and you can certainly blame him for the one which he forced the ball to Ashley Cole, um, and that ball comes back into his own net. You can blame him for that one. Outside of that, I mean, where did he have a fighting chance on any of those? I mean, you can go back to the goal to the game before where I said um, I don't blame him. I blamed him more for the first goal than the second goal, and I, I, you know, I was told by the way that I had a garbage take um, on that particular issue because the ball got deflected off of Daniel Stairs. Uh, you could very well see that uh, that Bingham didn't see the ball if at all until very late, until the ball was basically over his head because of the deflection. Uh, that seemed pretty obvious to me, uh, but I was told I got a garbage take. And then the guy got offended whenever I responded with sarcasm. Kevin, can you believe that? Yeah, well, I, I heard the same thing, too. It was like, he had 18 yards to respond to that. Well, you you know, it's hard when your body's going in one direction to make it go back in the other direction in a split second. So, yeah, I, I'm kind of of the same mind. And the other thing that concerns me about David Bingham is, um, yeah, you know, intellectually, I'm sure that he looks at that and says, you know, some of these goals weren't my fault. That one in particular deflected off somebody, an own goal. That's not really my fault. But at the end of the game, it's five to nothing, and that's hung on him. He's the goalkeeper. It's really got to play uh, some some bad tricks on his mind. He can't come out there thinking that he played a good game, uh, you know, when they scored five goals. And it's it's got to play on his self confidence, and which is so important for a goalkeeper to trust his uh, reactions, to trust, uh, you know, his instincts. And, and when you're thinking, you know, uh, it's not going so well for me right now. Maybe I shouldn't trust my instincts on this one. That's when you. That's when you get caught. It's just like the, you know when, when players say, well, I, you know, this game doesn't mean anything to us. We're not going to play hard. That's when you get injured. So uh, with a goalkeeper, if he's not trusting his instincts, he's not trusting his reactions, and he's not confident, it's just all going to go downhill, whether it's his fault or not. And so you have to kind of worry a little bit about David Bingham's mental state too. Yeah, and it's got to be fragile already because he's coming off of uh, you know playing in San Jose where they eventually benched him. Um, so yeah, I mean, listen, I'm not going to tell you that David Bingham is some world beater and that he's the best goalkeeper out there in Major League Soccer. He's very middle of the uh, of the pack in terms of uh, goalkeepers in Major League Soccer, and maybe that does him a disservice, Kevin, because if his stats tell you that he's sort of middle of the pack and you've seen what this defense has been able to do in terms of giving up the ball and, and having different problems, um, you know, all the things that you sort of look at with with goalkeepers um it's maybe it's unfair if he is that center that that guy who is probably a little bit better than what his stats say right now he's certainly not getting that confidence boost um from the results that the galaxy have given him in in recent days and you know the unbeaten streak we talked about it kevin uh, i'd also like to point out the galaxy have lost just two of their last 13 games so if you want to put it in that uh, that sort of frame of mind um then you can look at it and say hey Maybe this LA Galaxy team isn't as bad as they're currently showing, but it is now a four-game uh, winless streak, um, and so this is a team that is is struggling right now with certainly with confidence on every level, as far as I'm concerned. So that's going to well, be. If you go back, if you go back to Bingham, just one more note. I mean, I thought Brian Rowe was a pretty good goalkeeper. He really struggled last year, and it's followed him this year. He's, he's played ten games from Vancouver and given up 22 goals. That is not a good goals against average. So, you know, it, the mental thing can really take you out of your game. Uh, and Ziggy said that about the, you know, when you talk about the unbeaten streak, you're right. They are, they have gotten points in the majority of their games since May. Um, but a lot of those games were draws. And Ziggy said, we're not going to get to the playoffs one point at a time. And he's right. You know, they need, they need uh, uh, seven. What, what do we say at the, the, the top of the show? They, they need 17 points now, right? Is that, is that what it is? 14 they, points. They could, yeah, they need 14 points. 
they need 14 points and they have eight games left. So clearly they're not going to be able to, to get into the playoffs if they, if they drive again, they can have, that would be great. An eight game unbeaten streak to end the season. And they miss the playoffs because one point a game is not going to do it. Yeah, it absolutely could. All right, let's uh, let's move a little bit here to uh, to a move that actually happened today, Kevin, outside of the transfer window, which is interesting. Uh, LA Galaxy sends Joel Pedro on a 10-month loan. Uh, he goes to, and I'm going to do my best, uh, Gymnasticos, Sologos, uh, Apollon, Smyrnis. That's the name of the team. Easy for you to say. Yeah, I was going to, God bless you. Um, so that's where he's going. It is in the Greek uh, Super League in Greece's first division. And Pedro's going to join on a 10-month loan. The LA Galaxy will maintain the right to recall the midfielder during the length of the loan. Uh, of course, we all remember yeah, that Joel... Don't, don't keep your bags packed. I was, I was going to say, I don't know how they... I go, it's, where's all the op- it's all Greek to me. Where's the option... No, there it was. Uh, where's the option for for the for uh, this Greece, Greek team to buy him, though? That's what I wanted to see. I mean, if you're trying to really get out from underneath the contract, where's that option? But the Galaxy seem to be splitting hairs here, Kevin. They didn't get rid of him. Um, they're, they're putting him on a loan, and it's not even a full-year loan. It's a 10-month loan. So basically, he'd be eligible to come back inside the next transfer window. Um, or excuse me, the next summer transfer window. Uh, whenever you look at that, that's whenever he would be. And you could recall him at any time. It doesn't really matter. You don't need to have it, I think, inside the window um, in, terms yeah. of, in terms of loans. But this is they're trying to split hairs here, Kevin, because they're not selling him. They're not saying, hey, we made a horrible mistake by getting this guy uh, from Portugal uh, and spending a whole bunch of money for him, in fact, like upwards of maybe $1.5 million on the transfer fee. Uh, they didn't say any of that. They're just going in here and saying, hey, we're going to send him on loan. And by the way, it does very little probably to clear up any cap space. Uh, and you don't really get an international slot back out of it because the Galaxy were already over on international slots. And that's why Pedro was down playing with, you know, Galaxy 2. Well, a bunch of questions uh, here. And, and you talk about... The Galaxy didn't, or they, they, they split hairs by not getting rid of them. You know, Greece is in a financial crisis right now, but maybe they're not even stupid enough to spend a lot of money to get bring Jao Pedro in. Maybe maybe the Greek team didn't want him. Maybe this was the best the Galaxy could do is to move him on a loan. Um, when he came in last year, if you remember uh, last January, he was the guy. I mean, they brought Alison Drini in just after him, but uh, Jao was the guy. They gave him Steven Gerrard's number. He was touted as the the new generation. And then when Jonathan came in, all of a sudden he went to 88, which was totally bizarre. But Jao Pedro was going to be the guy. He was the, the 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 cornerstone of this new foundation that the Galaxy were laying. Uh, he's a super nice guy. He just was not the midfielder that they thought he was. He came over from Portugal, and for him. Uh, one of the rare players, I think, that comes from Europe and, and found MLS to be a huge step up. And I just don't think that he ever recovered. And the Galaxy are paying him a quarter million dollars this year, um, which is ridiculous for, you know, the production that they've gotten out of him. And clearly is not going to play for Ziggy um, and, and hasn't played for Ziggy. It's interesting, though. I, I don't know the machinations and I don't think anybody uh, understands MLS salary rules. I, you know, I really have not met anyone that can actually discuss them and say things without saying probably or I think. Nobody really knows the rules, but I do find it interesting that the Galaxy didn't move him until after, pretty much after the summer transfer window was done. So if there was any flexibility that came out of the, the results of this deal, and I think you're right, there wasn't any, but if there was, they weren't able to take advantage of it because they moved him after the window had closed. Yeah, and again, it doesn't cl- open up any international slots. I'll, t- I'll tell you this, um, apparently the Joao Pedro himself had been looking for a loan deal for quite some time. You could understand why. Uh, doesn't exactly seem to be a fan of Siggy Schmidt, Kevin. Uh, in fact, I think you can take that one to the bank in terms of uh, of what he says. There's there's players on this team who aren't very happy with Siggy Schmidt. Siggy has his guys right now, Kevin, and you're not seeing a lot of rotation outside of those guys. I think Baggio Husidic might also be a guy who's unhappy with his current playing time situation. Joel Pedro was certainly that guy, and especially after they sent him down to Galaxy 2. I'll tell you this, somebody asked me my opinion of, of Joel Pedro, and I said that he rarely... Um, and I think this is fair. He rarely looked like he was an MLS talent on the field. And he got a bunch of playing time, you know, under Kurt Anolfo and playing in that central midfield. And he was he was okay at best, um, but never really outstanding and never really, I think, the player that they wanted. There's always an adjustment period. You said it, Kevin, uh, as well. But I, I find it hard to believe that uh, Joao Pedro is an MLS caliber, you know, midfielder right now for the LA Galaxy in, in a position that they could have used him in, quite honestly. Yeah, and it just, he just was not the player that they thought they were going to get. And, you know, uh, the Galaxy have signed some players that have been, uh, you know, I think Alessandrini probably is better than we thought he would be. 
um, uh, you know, getting Zlatan was a real coup, but the scouting department, such as it is and such as it was before Kurt came along, has not really um, produced a lot. I mean, I, I think some of the things that were done and bringing in, from what I understand of the negotiations, bringing in Ashley Cole and bringing in uh, Nigel DeYoung when they got him, I mean, th- those were good signings. A lot of that sounded like it was Bruce Arena. Um, it didn't sound like the, you know, there was a lot of scouting that went on in that, and they could be completely wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. But um, you know, clearly, I think you have to look at Job Pedro and say that's one that they really missed on. Yeah, I mean, there are successes this year. Look at Chris Pontius coming in. Now, I would argue that Chris Pontius is here in Southern California because this is where he's from. He was a free agent, and he wanted to come here. Uh, I don't think that there was much to do besides figure out how much they were going to pay him, but Chris Pontius was a good get. Uh, Ola Kamara bringing him in was a good get. You talked about you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That was a good get. I think Shelvik is going to turn out to be okay. Uh, I don't know if he's going to turn out to be the highest-paid player in Major League Soccer are good, um, but certainly I think getting him a better back line and a partner is going to help, but he hasn't exactly filled us with lots of hope that he's suddenly going to turn it around next year. Um, but but I, I think there's a difference between the uh, uh, the, the jury's st- still out on Shelvick, I think. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there is a difference between the scouting department now under Kurt Schmidt and the scouting department before. And the scouting department before is the one that brought us Jao Pedro um, the scouting department now is the one that brought us Jordan Shelvick and, and again, the, and Ralph Fletcher. So the, the jury's still out on those two guys. I think we can probably, at least right now, and, and he's, you know, remember Pedro is still a really young player. Right, he there is. There is a chance he could develop. Uh, and maybe the Galaxy will be proven correct to hang on to his rights. Maybe he'll, he'll develop into something. But uh, as of right now, I think the previous scouting department, they had some uh, the real big upside guys, you know. Um, Gio was, was very productive for a year and a half. Uh, Robbie Keane coming in. Um, we don't know how all those deals came together. Uh, Jao Pedros and, and Alessandrini seemed more like a, a you know a sort of uh, bird dogging and actually finding some talent out there and 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 coaxing them over here. Um, I'm not sure the previous scouting department had a whole lot of hits, um, and uh, we'll see where this scouting department goes. I, I do kind of like Kurt Schmidt's approach a little bit better than I like the the last scouting department, but. It's too early to say. And right now, the one thing that we do know is there were some obvious holes that crept up in the middle of the season. And you can blame it on previous front office contracts, whatever. They weren't able to plug those holes. And and, and that is the fact. Um, but I do like the way that they're working right now. And I, I do I do think the future as far as scouting and, 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 and signing players is going to be much better than the recent past. And again, I want to point out the previous administration is 99% still intact within the LA Galaxy. So uh, any repercussions from completely missing, you know, on Joel Pedro and spending $1.5 or $1.6 million on Joel Pedro and a transfer fee uh, doesn't seem to be exactly hitting the front office hard. Um, because they're they're trying to make moves and, and do stuff out. So again, previous administration outside of uh, of of Kurt Anolfo, uh is pretty much still intact there right now. Uh, and, and I still yeah. have to go back to what happened last year. It was the academy and 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 Galaxy Two. That's where the future was. Nothing at crickets this year. That pipeline has completely dried up. And I did talk to players who signed with Galaxy Two, who said the reason they came to Galaxy Two and the reason they took a chance on the Galaxy was because they believed that the Galaxy was going to promote the young players. That pipeline, again, completely dried up. And uh, I look at it two different ways. Galaxy 2 has, has been struggling, I think, most of the season, right? Um, and it just goes back to how failed last year was. I mean, the idea of, yeah, you know, we had a tough year, but for the whole philosophy to collapse, to go from Galaxy 2 is the foundation to Galaxy 2 doesn't even exist anymore as far as uh, promoting players to uh, the MLS team, I mean, that it, it was just bankrupt from the start, and I think this is more evidence that that was just never, ever going to work, and, and Galaxy fans were sold a bill of goods on that. Well, and, and certainly you look at the players who, who were released. I mean, they, uh, most of the LA Galaxy 2 team that you've seen play over the years was released after this last season in terms of they were all with the senior team. You know, Jack McBean and Jose Villarreal and Jaime Villarreal and, you know, Oscar Sorto and, and other guys that I'm sure... A I've, lot of those guys are in USL or even not playing anymore that's then that's where you get to it is is how how packed was that uh was that pipeline whenever you look at it so no i I agree it seems that now i think they're building some up i think they do have some good talent that's starting to develop again but really they wiped the slate clean kevin 
Um, and so in order to see any sort of uh, advancement out of that that team, I think you're going to see it over the next year um, and not necessarily in just this this reset that they did because they, they jettisoned everybody. There, there really wasn't that much left uh, for them to do anymore. So again, uh, some interesting times for the Galaxy. Uh, Rolf Felcher actually got called into the Venezuelan national team, Kevin. We're waiting for official dates in terms of when he'll travel and when he'll go. I'm being told that Felcher will go during the next FIFA break. Uh, that is the break that I think happens right towards the end of the playoffs, right, Kevin? If I'm if I'm correct, I, well, I, no, I, there is a FIFA I, break coming up next month. Yeah. The U.S. plays Mexico and and Brazil, so that's I think September. Those games are September seventh and eleventh, I believe. Yeah, that's what. I, sorry, I didn't mean playoffs, but like right towards the end of the season. It's in this really awkward time for for MLS all the time. So, um, Rolf Felcher will looks like be called into the Venezuelan national team. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I imagine he accepts. I imagine he goes. I'm also being told that he will miss no games for the LA Galaxy as of right now. Uh, it seems like they have that FIFA break off, so they're not going to have any issues. Uh, no, they have the next two FIFA breaks off. There's also one in October, uh, another two-game break. Uh, and the MLS scheduling just, just baffles me. You know, D.C. United will play New York City during the next uh, FIFA break. They will play on, I think, September 8th, which falls in between the two games. So if you're called up, uh, you can't possibly do both. You can't you can't play for your MLS team and play for your national team. They they have to play a game in New York City during that break. And again, if you're you know just looking at it from being fair, uh, you know these two DC United and, and New York City both fighting for playoff berths, they're going to play a a key game at Yankee Stadium, uh, presumably missing some of their best players who called away to the national team duty. How how is that fair when other teams sit out the the break? And then get to use all their best players when they come back. Oh, it's not. It never has been. It's 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 quite honestly, it's a little ridiculous. And MLS has to figure a way around this because people are getting tired of their teams playing in FIFA breaks. Uh, they're getting tired of teams playing. You know, there's a big push right now to maybe go to the uh, to the winter schedule, um, and the people are trying to figure out ways around that in order to do it. And I don't think it's impossible. Um, I think it's difficult. But I also don't love games being played in Houston in August, Kevin. So uh, you know, there's some things there I'd love to avoid as well. well well, yeah. here's here's a couple. Of, I, I think the reasons for this. When MLS started, they were playing in football stadiums, and so they had to have a summer schedule so they didn't conflict with the NFL. I understand that. Oh, and by the way, conflicting with the NFL, uh, there was a Charger game at uh, StubHub Center last weekend. So let's see how the how the turf uh, bounces back. I believe the game was on Saturday, and now they're going to play again a uh, soccer game on Friday. Friday. So we'll yep. see how that works. But that's that's the impetus for the the summer schedules. They couldn't use NFL stadiums. Well, that's gone now. I think Seattle. Right, Seattle and Atlanta are the only two teams that now use NFL stadiums. So everyone else is clear. They have their own. Well, and StubHub Center. I was going to say the Galaxy. Too. Yeah, I was going to. Yeah, just throw for a on. short period. So I mean, it, most of these teams have control over their stadiums, and technically AEG continues to tell us that the Galaxy is the number one tenant. Uh, the NFL feels differently, but in any case, um, the whole idea, the whole impetus for the summer schedule is gone now. You're right. We would, wouldn't have to play those games in Houston and Dallas and all these other places where the humidity. Is, is just totally out of control. You could go to a winter calendar, and it would remove that. What I don't like about it is, is again, you're asking some teams to play during the break, and who gets hurt by that? The teams with the best players, the best teams, because no one's going to call uh, Jao Pedro up to the Port. He's not getting called up to the Portuguese national team. Players that are not really quality players are not going to get called up. Players that do get called up, that hurts their team. So you're forcing the team to play a big game in the middle of a uh, of a uh, international break without their best players. Why? Because they have a good team and they sign good players, and it just it hurts teams for being successful at scouting and signing players. Yeah, it does. Uh, again, just a, a little side note there. Uh, I want to get to uh, the injuries. Obviously, we're all watching, Kevin, to see who's going to be available for this game on Friday. You have Ramon Alessandrini, who was out with the knee injury. I, I guess it's a knee bruise is what we're really calling it uh, because there was no structural damage on the knee, whether or not he will be available to play against LAFC. Uh, you have Giovanni Dos Santos, who is definitely out who is not going to be playing in this game. Jonathan Dos Santos is a possibility, and Michael Ciani is a, is a possibility as well. Uh, you're getting Zlatan Ibrahimovic. So if the Galaxy could possibly get four of their five players back uh, that were able to compete and play in some fashion, Kevin, uh, I think the LA Galaxy you know, can compete in this game and, and, and at least uh, really press LAFC. The more players you're missing that don't make it back for Friday, the less likelihood the LA Galaxy are going to be able to uh, put up a good defense of, uh, of the third El Trafico there at StubHub Center. Well, one thing I know from, uh, as some people on this, uh, listening to the podcast have pointed out, I do spend some time around LAFC as well. And I do know that they, that the Galaxy are in their head big time. 
just the way the last two games ended. It's it's uh, it's something that LAFC had not been able to come to grips with the way those two games ended. However, this is a different team now. They will have at least two, perhaps more starters that weren't uh, didn't play in any of the uh, first two El Traficos or as Jim Hill calls it, El Tremendo. So, you know, it may be a little bit different team, and that that may help uh, LAFC. But coming in, their big stars, the guys that played in those first two games, the Galaxy are definitely in their head. And it, it could work one of two ways. It could be, a you know, where LAFC just feels like they're defeated before they take the field, or they could be so inspired and so motivated to finally get over that one hurdle they haven't been able to clear Um you know, that, 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 again, you know, it could really hurt the Galaxy. Let's hope that uh, some of the things that happened last time at Bank of California Stadium with all the, the violence and some of the things that happened in the stands, let's hope that that, that doesn't follow uh, to the Stub Up Center, that everyone just comes out and enjoys soccer and has fun cheering for their team, but, uh, you know, leaves it at cheers and, and uh, doesn't escalate it any further than that. Yeah, I mean, that's a big hope. All right, uh, we, of course, will have more coverage for that game coming up on Thursday night, a live show on Thursday night, so you can certainly get ready for that one. Uh, we'll do our best to get you all the information that we have, and we're doing it on Thursday nights. So that way we can get the latest injury update information. All that stuff will be right there Thursday before the game, and so you'll be able to listen to that on your way up to El Trafico and throughout the weekend after the game's played as well. Um, all right. Sarah from South Pasadena wrote in, and she has some uh, some plaudits here for for the panda. Uh, well deserved. For the panda. That, that's right. Sarah says uh, says Josh. Uh, Sarah from South Pasadena. All I have to say is preach it, panda. From his rant about the always ailing, never playing Giovanni dos Santos to his soapbox sermon about the front office's lack of transparency. Kevin was en fuego on last week's episode. Loved it. Speaking of the front office, tell me if, you, if you've seen something similar to what we're dealing with when it comes to the front office. Guy gets put in charge, hires a group that can't... Ha- ha- uh, guy gets put in charge when he has absolutely no qualifications to do said job, surrounds himself around a bunch of cronies who will just do his bidding and make him look good, hires a group that can't hack it at their jobs, and then isn't concerned with any level of transparency with the media or the public. Throw in a tape... Uh, I, I, I censored that one a little bit. Throw in a tape and a chain migration set of in-laws, and I swear I've seen this set up somewhere before. Predicting it isn't going to end well, uh, for the history has a way of repeating itself, only it's not history. It's happening in parallel time. Ugh. Anyway, keep up the good work, Sarah from South Pasadena. So she, she really liked it. about the, the, the DC Ununited was, in the White House? I was, was going to say, I think there might be some parallel to that. So, uh, But she's a big fan of yours, so at least you have somebody out there who thinks that you are a smart, intelligent uh, person who isn't a complete hack and homer for one side. Well, here's what I think about the front office. Um, I, I think that when they, because the moves that they made after Bruce stepped aside to go to the U.S. national team, the moves that they made were so dramatic. And it, it does, it, you know, there is another uh, another parallel, I think, to the White House. You know, one of the things we've seen, whether you like Donald Trump or not, and it's pretty obvious where I come down on that. I've made some comments on the show. But um, whether you like Donald Trump or not, you have to agree that a lot of the things that he's done is overturn Obama-era regulations in a lot of different ways. And I think the Galaxy front office tried to prove that they weren't going to follow Bruce Arena, that they were going to take the team in a completely different direction, hence the reliance on the uh, Galaxy 2 and the Academy. And so what they did is they blew up everything that Bruce did. Um, they brought in Kurt Anoffel. They signed all these young players. Um, they reduced their reliance on uh, high-salary DPs. Um, they wanted to be the anti-Bruce team, and it did not work. And one of the things that didn't happen was some of the people that worked under Bruce, that came up under Bruce, like Chris Klein and Pete Viannis, I don't know how much they learned from Bruce. I mean, Bruce was the master. Say what you want about Bruce, and I happen to love him. A lot of people do not. But Bruce was very successful at what he did. And I think when you're around successful people, you want to study them and find out how they become successful. And so when they, when those guys took over, the game that can't shoot straight, when they took over last year and decided to do everything the exact opposite way that, that Bruce did it, I think that was a big mistake. And I think they're still digging their way out of that. And, and that, I think, is another parallel you can draw to uh, DC Ununited. Yeah, there you go. So that works. Uh, some other LA Galaxy, not news, just sort of fun. Uh, Ed Sheeran played a, uh, a gig at the Rose Bowl, Kevin. Uh, he got a visit for from God himself, Mr. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, swapped jerseys with uh, Ed Sheeran, and then Ed Sheeran wore his number 18 jersey up on the stage and played in it at the Rose Bowl. So sort of a little full circle there, kind of cool thing that you see Ed Sheeran at the Rose Bowl in a Galaxy jersey. Um, for the for the battle for hearts and minds. First, 
Yeah, first time the Galaxy's won at the Rose Bowl in a while. I was going to say, uh, the battle for hearts and minds here. Uh, the propaganda machine uh, turning hard here, getting Ed Sheeran and Zlatan Ibrahimovic together. And Zlatan said, uh, and, and I quote him on his uh, Twitter handle, he says, when the genius Ed Sheeran finally met God, thank you for an unforgettable concert at the Rose Bowl. I have to imagine that uh, that uh, whenever he said met God, he was speaking of himself. That doesn't sound like Ibrahimovic now, at all. That was Saturday night, right? I believe it was Saturday night. I don't know yeah, for so sure. Yeah, not taking that five nothing drubbing uh, too too much to heart. It may have been on Sunday. I'm trying to see. I'm trying to August. No, no it, it was. was it, it was. It was on Sunday. The picture he posted for oh. sure was on Sunday. So I don't know okay. if the concert was Saturday night or or how it worked. And Kevin, your your newsroom back there has been buzzing the entire time we've been recording. Telephones going off, all sorts of fun stuff. So at least you're staying busy. That's good to know. Yeah, people trying to reach out to me. You know, the panda's the oracle. Yeah, I'm sure. Of that, LA Galaxy will face off against LAFC coming up on Friday, August 24th, 7.30 p.m. kickoff time. I would, uh, of course, advise you to uh, to get there early because it's a sold-out game. Uh, traffic's going to be an absolute nightmare. The fact that the league and with their television sponsor here with, uh, with ESPN and everybody else decided to play another El Trafico game, Kevin, on a non-weekend night is pretty ridiculous. No, um, no, no. Wait a minute. Yes. I agree with you until I asked Taylor. Twelman about it, and he told me he goes check the ESPN ratings for weekday weeknight games versus weekend games. I agreed with you 110. percent Why this is ridiculous? You know the biggest game of the year. If they're going to, you know, I, I think MLS figured the game was going to sell out anyways. They couldn't sell any more tickets locally. Uh, that they wanted at that point, they wanted the national audience, and so they put it on a, a weekday game. Uh, to get more uh, viewership. I don't know if that's going to work or not. That's how it was explained to me. But um, I think on Friday night, trying to get to Carson uh, for a 7.30 game, I think El Trafico is going to prove to be a very accurate Ugh. name for this game. Late arriving crowd. Just telling you right now, everybody's getting there late. So uh, 10 minutes in, the stadium will still look a little empty, and it'll fill in by the time halftime finally gets there. So get there early uh, and, and be prepared for the traffic and the nightmares that are coming. Uh, just a reminder, and I talked about them on the last podcast as well, there's a New York City viewing party and an Atlanta viewing party. Uh, we talked about those on the previous uh, podcast. So if you're looking at uh, trying to get there, uh, there is a viewing party at Smithfield, New York City at 138 West 25th Street uh, in New York, New York. And go back to our other one uh, on our other podcast last week where I told you about Atlanta because I, I don't see it sitting here in my notes. I know I had it at one point. So uh, we'll certainly look for that. And if I can put it out on Twitter again, I will. If you're in Atlanta, you can also view the LA Galaxy versus LAFC game on the East Coast. So those viewing parties, Kevin, spreading far and wide. What happened to our international listeners? We, didn't we have a guy in Japan for a while? We do. We still have him there. So he's All still, right. yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's Julio, Julio in Osaka, Osaka, Japan. So uh, and we had somebody in Hawaii too for a while. We had somebody in Hawaii. I know that we had people um, from from other places, uh, Poland, and let's see, uh, Europe, in, including uh, like the United Kingdom and Scotland. And so yeah, corner of the, the galaxy. International but, Space Station. Anyone yeah. there? I not yet, but. Uh, I haven't been told that, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's a Galaxy fan. I mean, if you're if you're going to be an astronaut, aren't you if automatically you're in the galaxy, a Galaxy you might fan? Well be a Galaxy fan. That's right. That makes some yeah. sense. So, uh, so we'll see how that goes. All right, Kevin. Anything else for you? Are you good? I think so. All right. Let's uh, go ahead and get on out of here. If you're looking for Mr. Kevin Baxter on Twitter, you of course can find him at kbaxter11. And please head on over to latimes.com where Kevin is doing all this wonderful soccer reporting. And I have a, I think if I'm not completely crazy here, Kevin, you have a soccer newsletter possibly coming out pretty soon, right? Yeah, it should be released tomorrow. All right, via the LA Times. So look at Kevin, follow him on Twitter. He'll, he'll get you all the information on that as well. Uh, if you're looking for me on Twitter, it's at Jay Guessman, J-G-U-E-S-M-A-N, and of course, at Galaxy Podcast. Head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com where you can still get your 2018 Corner of the Galaxy scarf. Those are for sale. Head on over to cornerofthegalaxy.com and click the shop button. If you uh, supported us for the Panda and Pato in the Morning t-shirts, those should be shipping out in about a week, and we appreciate the support very, very much. All right, that does it. LA Galaxy versus LAFC on Friday. The third El Trafico should be a good one. For Mr. Kevin Baxter, I'm Josh Gessman. You've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody.